celebrate one person, you miss. It's always dangerous in church, isn't it? Well, anyway, we are in Matthew chapter 14, and I want to speak to you from a very, very well-known story, the feeding of the 5,000. You've probably heard of it even if you've not been in church since you had to go when you were in Sunday school. But I want to start just before what we commonly know is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And I'm going to pray at the start because... Um, this isn't just a lesson. Maybe you're new to church. Um, we don't believe that when we share from the Bible, it's just a lesson in how to live. Sometimes we do speak about how to live, but we're really preaching to Christians who have this life inside them that's asking, I love God now. How can I honor him? Okay, so when we tell people how to live, it's more a calling out of what's in people often. And it's for Christians. If you're not a Christian, I have no place to tell you how to live because you're not going to be able to live up to that unless you have the life and the power of God in you. So if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I hope this morning thinking, who is this Jesus? I want to know more of him. And hopefully you will come to know more of Jesus as we speak about him this morning. But in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 12, we're told that John the Baptist, one of Jesus' friends, had um, just been killed. He had been beheaded, I think it was. He had just been killed because he had stood up for the truth and he had stood up against the authorities. And the disciples had just found out that he had been killed. And it says in verse 12, Then his disciples came, removed the corpse, buried it, and went and reported it to Jesus. So the whole setting that Matthew's illustrating here, when the feeding of the 5,000 happens, is that Jesus has just heard this devastating news that a friend of his has just lost his life. And then we read in verse 13, when Jesus heard about it, he withdrew from there by a boat to a remote place to be alone. That's an appropriate response. Wouldn't you agree? We would say that is a wise thing to do. You've heard this devastating news. You need some time out to come to terms with it and to grieve. And often Jesus, the scripture says, goes to remote places to be alone and to pray to his father. It's often Jesus' default. That's how he got all his life and his power and his relationship with God. We would say that this is an appropriate response, and I would entirely agree. But I think there's been a big shift, particularly in Christian circles over the years. In the past, it used to be, you don't want to rust out for Jesus, you want to burn out for Jesus. <laughs> Have you heard that one? Which basically says, just keep going Forget about boundaries. Just push yourself because we need to talk about Jesus. And the heart of that is good, but actually you need to look after yourself a little bit as well. And when someone's burnt out, it doesn't bring Jesus any glory if you're burning out for the wrong reasons. But I think the pendulum, and, and part of that was you sacrifice, and that was good. If you follow Jesus, the only reason you're on earth, he loves you. He wants to be with you, but he's left you on earth so that you can tell other people about him. And they can come to know the same love, yeah? So there is wisdom in withdrawing and having that. But in the past, sacrifice for Christian ministry. Forget your family, forget your health, just serve Jesus. That was a bit of an extreme and has some unhealthy aspect. But I think sometimes the pendulum has swung totally the other way, especially in the West, and it's all about self-preservation. Look after yourself, me first. Make sure you've got boundaries that are 50 miles wide so that no one can inconvenience you, no one can cause you trouble, so that you're never tired. And serve Jesus faithfully, but sacrifice doesn't really come into it. Uh, that's not what following Jesus is. Following Jesus is both and. It's wisdom, and you seek God, and you know when you need to withdraw. But your life does require sacrifice. 
And if we're going to reach people and honor Jesus, our lives are going to be like his. He sometimes withdrew. But as we're going to see, there's other times that he just knew that he had to, by the grace of God, keep going. So that's the context of this. Jesus has withdrawn. His good friends just died. I mean, many of us have probably experienced brokenness and grieving in our lives and grief. And some of us, particularly in the last year or so, someone close to us has died. And so Jesus is experiencing, he's walking through this, which is one of the wonderful things about Jesus. He, it says that he understands us in, in a way that no other deity claims to. He became fully man. So whatever it is you're going through, Christ gets it, even more than you do, because we try to suppress things. But it goes on and it says, when the crowds heard this, <laughs> that this Jesus who was doing all these miracles and this great teaching, when they heard this, they followed him on foot from the towns. Verse 14, when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd. Now picture Jesus. His friends died. He just wants to go and be alone with his close friends and with God. And he sees the crowd coming. What would you do? You know, you go to some conferences for church leaders. They say, turn your phone off when you go on holiday. Don't let anybody contact you. Remove yourself as far as you can from the people. Have a back passage out the church door so you can run away after you've preached and so you can just be with Jesus and people can't hassle you. Some of that's healthy. I think it's good to turn your phone off sometimes and go away, particularly if you're a control freak like me. You need to turn the phone off not because people are hassling you because you want to hassle people. But some of those aspects are really not healthy. You know, we're not called to just preserve ourselves and distance ourselves from people as leaders or even as Christians. Because our response, and sometimes, so don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you need to respond to every need in every way. There's wisdom in this. But I want to show you what Jesus did. <laughs> and it says this. Jesus who was grieving and struggling and wanted to be alone and have space and time to process what was going on. He saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them. Say compassion. And he healed their sick. I think that's stunning. I think if anybody got a kind of a pass to be by themselves and not be disturbed is Jesus in this situation when his buddies just died, a horrendous death, and he's withdrawn. You think, Jesus, you've got a pass. No responsibilities, no obligations. Everyone else can just sort themselves out. You take, But that's not what he does. And it's often not what he calls his followers to do. When evening came, the disciples approached him. So it's seems like Jesus has been ministering to the crowds for a long time, healing their sick. They heard about him. That's why they bought their sick, which means there's, I think, there's a lot of people, as we'll come find. So they've been ministering all day. I don't know what his disciples were thinking here. His disciples were thinking, we get to have some time out with Jesus. You know, ministry's on Paul's role. We're just going to go and have some rest time with Jesus. And then Jesus sees the crowd, and he has compassion on them, and he starts ministering. Now, I can imagine the disciples looking at each other thinking, here we go again. <laughs> we thought we were having some downtime and some time out, you know. Thought I was only going to serve this much today, Jesus, but you are going again because compassion has drawn him. So they minister all day, and the disciples come to him, and they say, this place is deserted, and it is already late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. So note the contrast between Jesus' response and his disciples at this point. Jesus is the one who has all this weight on him and withdrawn. And he's ministering and serving out of compassion. And the disciples, 
come to him and say, maybe your compassion meter is just too much, Jesus. It's late. These guys are going to need some food. This place is deserted. Send them away so they can get food for themselves. Now, on a spectrum, some of us fall on the compassion end here. We just go and say no to people's brokenness. Some people end on this end where it's all about sort yourself out, deal with your own problems, okay? I have to grow this way, and sometimes there's wisdom to grow this way, but with a good heart. But what you have here is this great contrast where Jesus starts to meet need, and we'll see by God's grace and power, and the disciples focus on their lack. This place is desolate. They focus on their inconvenience. It's late. I mean, if we're going to have to deal with this, we're going to be walking into town all night and getting food and bringing it back and trying to deal with them. It's going to cost us money. It's going to be really difficult. They focus on their lack, and their perspective is self-sufficiency. Tell these people to go away and sort themselves out. (laughs) And most of the people are thinking, man, I'm happy to go hungry for a few days if I get to be with Jesus. And that's what the world is like. And many people don't know that they need Jesus like we didn't know before we came to know him. And sometimes we're like, well, you, you go and sort yourself out. Come when you're at your allotted time, and then we'll minister to you. But Jesus isn't like that. Jesus extends compassion, and he reaches out to them. And if you're thinking, well, that's Jesus. He's slightly unique. Watch what he says next. And I love this. And I've been living with this for a while because I need to preach this. Jesus says to his disciples, they do not need to go away. Jesus told them, you give them something to eat. Just put yourself in this position. Thousands of people, it's late at night, the place is desolate, and Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Whatever sense of inadequacy you have, it probably pales into the scale of this. I can't tell people about Jesus, and Jesus says to you, tell them about Jesus. I can't pray for someone to be healed, it's too scary, and Jesus says, pray for them. I can't do this. I struggle with this. I can't do this. Whatever your sense of inadequacy, it's real and it's deep and we all struggle with it. But I would suggest that the scale of this is slightly bigger. You, ex-disciples, however many were in that immediate conversation, let's go for a max of 12. You give them something to eat. Did, I mean, at that point, they're probably thinking, Jesus, you're having a laugh. <laughs> Look at these people. I know you love people, but this is getting a little bit silly. But Jesus says, they don't need to go away. You have what they need. And the disciples are thinking, we don't have what they need, so they must find what they need. Do you see the contrast of perspectives in that? And they are right. They don't have, in the natural, what these people need. They are unable to meet the needs of these people. And yet Jesus is telling them to do so. So you've got to ask yourself, what is going on here? So is Jesus trying to set them up for a trick or something? Now, you know the story, so you're like, I know what goes on here. Maybe you do. If you don't know the story, it's great. It's a bit of a cliffhanger. There you go. There's probably one or two people in the room who might not know the story. It's brilliant because I wish I had those fresh eyes to read things that have become so familiar to me. If the Bible's new to you, you can think, I don't know anything. Let me tell you, you've got a world of discovery of Jesus in. And if you read the Bible for yourself, you will see him with your own eyes, not what other people tell you. Although that is good and it's part of the learning process. Trying to read scripture with fresh eyes when you've read it a lot, especially famous like Sunday school things like this, which you've probably heard hundreds of times. 
So Jesus says to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something. They focus on their lack. Jesus is focusing on their need. And his compassion is driving them to give something else. Verse 17, the disciples say, but. Can you say but? Ever said but to God when he's told you to do something? Hey, pray for that person over there. But God, what if they reject me? (laughs) Hey, be generous and meet that need. But God, what if I don't have enough? Hey, give up that time of yours and serve this person. But God, hey, why don't you try saying no to those people and trust me that I am enough for you or no to those substances or whatever it might be or even that kind of legitimate pressure release. Say no, but, but God, you don't understand. But, but God, they say, but we only have five loaves and two fish, they said to him. They focused on their lack and their natural resources. I was reminded of a story recently of a little girl. Some of you heard this on Friday in Ipswich when we went to pray for the night. She had been saving her pocket money for ages because her dad was going to take her to, as the Scotsman Al says, sweetie. Can you say sweetie? Sweetie shop. Okay. And she had saved two pounds. Let's go for two pounds. And she was so excited. She was carrying her two pounds, holding her dad's hand, going to this sweet shop. And the weather just turned and it got a bit stormy and really windy. And she tripped and she dropped the two pound coin down a little drain. So she's devastated. And so she tries to hook it out. She tries to find it. She's looking, on the, looking at the drain. She's holding her dad's hand because it's a bit... And she's focusing on everything that she has earned to get what she wants. And then her dad says to her, holding her hand, says, come on, sweetie, let's go into the sweet shop. And he goes into the sweet shop with her and he pulls out a 20 quid note. And he says, spend this, darling. And she transforms from this girl who's focused on what she's earned and what she's able to do and what she's got and managed herself to suddenly realizing she's holding her father's hand. And he pulls out a 20 quid note as if it's a two pound coin. Her perspective was on what she could do and what she had earned. But the whole time she's holding her father's hand and he's got the resources to buy the sweetie shop. That's what it's like when you follow God. And I am prone to self-sufficiency. Many of us are stereotypically men are and Southern African men. We've got to fix problems and we've got to rely on ourselves. There are some benefits to some of that mindset. But when it comes to your relationship with God, You've got to mix that with faith and dependency. And that's a lifelong wrestle. Because you've got to remember that it's not about what you have or what you can do in the natural. But whose hand you're holding. In fact, who's holding your hands. And what he can do. And what he's demonstrated through his life as Christ on the earth. His heart. We only have five loaves and two fish. What circumstance in your life are you saying, I only have. I only can. And for some of us, it is a genuine difficulty and struggle. And if you read the Bible and you know the ways of God, he always takes people who can't, who then depend on him, because that's faith, and uses them. Sometimes when we say, I don't have or I can't, it's not because we don't have the means, but because of choices we're making. I don't have the time because I'm going on holiday, spending all night playing computer games or indulging in leisure pursuits all the time. And I don't actually have time to just stop and listen to God. Sometimes that's why we don't have. Because we're spending money on X, Y, and Z. And we don't have to invest or to give someone who is in need. And we've got, we got to be wise here and ask the question, my lack of resource, whatever that is, to serve God, 
Is it because I'm genuinely lacking or because I'm actually choosing other things? So that's like a little, a little pastoral note on that. For many of us, the Western world gives us so much choice that it's quite exhausting to seek wisdom and think what's good and what's a blessing in the world we live in and what's just me choosing luxury and comfort when I know God's pushing me this way. And I'm saying I can't, God. I only have when God's saying actually you got it all. But there are lots of times when we say so that you, we just don't have it, God. What you call me, I don't have the boldness, I don't have the courage, I don't have the faith, I don't have the gifts, I don't have the whatever, eloquence. You, you want me to do, speak to kids for you, Jesus? I'm petrified of them. You want me to do this or that? I can't do it. And Jesus says to his disciples, verse 18, bring them here to me and that's the game changer, <laughs> isn't it? Whatever you have, you bring it to God. Jesus goes on and he says, bring them here to me. And then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate and was satisfied. Can you say satisfied? They picked up 12 baskets, <laughs> number of tribes, number of disciples making a point. There were 12 baskets of leftover pieces. Now those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children, so you're looking at plus 10,000 people. You, you go from lack to leftovers. When you bring them to the Lord and you look up to heaven. Simple point today. And that's what faith is. I love this definition of faith. Faith is acting as if something is so when it's not so, so that it becomes so simply because God said so. You like that? I feel I've got to get a bit Pentecostal on me. I didn't come up with that. A guy called Tony Evans said, faith is acting as if it is so when it's not so, so that it becomes so simply because God said. Should we say that together? Okay, repeat after me. Faith is acting as if it is so when it's not so, so that it becomes so simply because God said so. There you go. If you take nothing else, that's a nice little rhyming thing. But I think that's great. It's not, na it's not naive. You know, sometimes we say, I've got faith for that. And you think, I, don't, I kind of think that's against God's will in Scripture. Faith is not like this blind belief and acting. Like, faith is when God has said so. And you reckon it as true. And God says that your sufficiency is in Him. And that you have everything that you need for life and godliness. And I feel entirely insufficient when I come to preach, when I come to minister to people. And this is the inner dialogue in my heart with God. I say, God, I believe you're sovereign and you've brought these people to me and you've put me in this position. I trust that you are enough and do it. And sometimes I catch myself thinking I'm enough. And usually those are plane crashes. When I, and I'm like, I've had a great time. I feel good but nothing's happened. And then there's the times I feel so insufficient or for whatever reason, and yet I've, by the grace of God, say, God, I bring this to you. God, bless this work. God, bless. And guess what? There's fruit and there's life. Faith is acting like something is so when it's not so, so that it becomes so because God said so. What has God spoken to you about? And I'm thinking personally, you know, we believe God's alive and he can speak personal promises into your heart now. But <laughs> while you wait on that, there's enough in here to be getting on for your whole life. God has said so. God has said so. God has said so. God has said so. And he said so, so that you may flourish and you may bless others and he may get the glory. There is enough 
for you and I to fill every minute of the day with that God has told us in here. And faith is saying, and it starts with our identity. Faith is saying, starts like this, okay? It says, so th- this is, this is the, the, the foundation and basis of all Christian living. God has said, I am a new creation. No more in condemnation. I'm not a slave to sin. I have a new heart. Do you feel like that? Did you feel like that this morning, if you're a Christian? Did you feel like that last night at 11 o'clock? Do you feel like that when you wake up every day? Most of us don't. We feel condemned. We feel weak. We've struggled again with sin. But you wake up and you say, God, you've said it so. And you say, I'm going to go to that as best as I know how, depending on you. I'm going to reckon it is so, even when it doesn't seem so. So that it becomes so, because God said so. And that's why, through the, through the years, Christians have commended morning Bible reading and devotional times. Now, it's not, morning's not magical, but it starts at the beginning of a day, reckoning on what God said, and living in the good of that. Not our own voices, not our own. Someone said this, now I've got to be careful, I've got to be careful of this, because don't hear what I'm not saying. Someone said, we used to go to God with our sin and our brokenness. We now go to a therapist with our problems. Like, he can't say that. Listen, I, I, I'm for therapists. Therapists are the grace of God to us, and we do go to them with our problems, okay? But we go to therapists or medical practitioners or financial advisors with faith in God that he has given us this blessing to help us. The challenge is when we go to those people with no thought of God and when we haven't gone to God first to ask, is the struggle that I'm in, mentally, emotional, socially, physically, whatever, a result of my sin and you repent of it before God? It might not be a result of sin. Many of us struggle with things that are not our own fault and they're just things that we wrestle with and it's a broken world and I don't know why, God. And I wait for the day that there is no mourning, crying, sickness in heaven. Hallelujah. And we go to God and we say, God, I'm wrestling with this. Why? Why so downcast my soul? Why? And then we go to professionals to get help, trusting in God that through them we will be helped. Do you see the difference? So don't hear what I'm not saying. <laughs> it's like this is ground you don't tread on when you're preaching. because you know, People can misunderstand you. But what I want to commend to you is please go. I have been so helped in many ways. But please go to God first. And bring it to Jesus and you will find sufficiency in and through and maybe out of your struggle. But even if you remain in it, he is sufficient through the darkest night of your soul. Through the biggest grief that you have. And guess what? He can still use you in the middle of that when you look to heaven. So some of you are not Christians here today. And you're thinking, well, this is all a bit mysterious for me. Listen, there's one thing for you to do. You need to look to heaven. You've probably tried everything else in your life. Or you've suddenly been hit by something in your life and you think, I'm asking questions for the first time in my life. Listen, pray. Try praying. Speaking to Jesus, see what happens. Maybe this living God of the universe is real and will make himself known. So where in your life is there lacking? You think, you know, words like lavish and abundance and leftovers are the words of God. So maybe you believe in God for something that he's spoken to you. Hey, bring it to him again in prayer. Be specific and be deliberate and watch the leftovers of God pour out. Do you know why God leaves leftovers? Because he wants to let you know he's not scrapping around to meet your need. <laughs> Do you know that? He's, not, he, he's a loving, doting father. And I, Just as I say, I believe someone here needs to know today that maybe you're fatherless. 
in the natural. It's a bit left field, but God wants you to know he is a father who has been attentive to you every moment of your life and he is sufficient and he is aware even now of the thoughts going on like I'm alone. No, no, no. He is a father who is always there and he has no lack, but he invites us to come to him to bring our challenges and difficulties to him and he's got leftovers. <laughs> There's an abundance in God, but in mystery, he calls us to come to him. And as we finish, we're going to have communion. One of the worship team can come up. We're going to have communion in a moment. You think, well, what's this communion? Well, in John chapter, I think it's chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Anytime you read about bread in scripture, your ears should perk up. <laughs> ears should perk up. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And just as Christ looked to heaven and he broke the bread to meet the needs of people and as a church, as Christians, whether you're visiting or part of us, that's what you are called to do. You are called to meet the needs of and have the resource to meet the needs of everyone who does not know Christ. Do you know that? Don't wait until you're spiritually mature because the maturer you get, the more you realize how immature you are because maturity in God is getting a closer relationship and then you see him more and you realize he's more holy and wonderful than you ever thought. And then you realize that you are, apart from his grace, more broken. And so just as Jesus, it says there that he took the bread and he broke it and he shared it with the people in need. Whatever needs you have, and your ultimate need is forgiveness in Jesus so you can spend eternity with him. His body was broken on the cross. To meet your need. Just as those few loaves were broken and they fed 5,000. The body of Christ was broken and it brought redemption and forgiveness for every one of us. And if you don't know Jesus, he did this for you. We remember you, Lord Jesus. If you're not a Christian, you're not comfortable, don't, don't take the bread and the wine. But allow it to speak to you of what Jesus has done for you. If you want to call on Christ for your salvation, you can do this right now. For the first time, you say, I'm trusting you, Jesus. Not a perfect trust. He's a perfect Savior. But I'm trusting you. And Jesus, we remember that your blood was shed. You died in my place, taking my sins so that I didn't have to die. And I can live in your place forever with the Father and to eternity. We remember you, Lord. I wonder if you'll stand with me if you're comfortable doing that. I just want to pray. And then we're going to worship together. Whatever your lack is, God has spoken about it. His sufficiency is in you. I just want to invite the Holy Spirit who's God here with us. You might just want to close your eyes, open your hands, whatever you're comfortable with. I want you to start telling God where you feel unable or a lack to meet a need or to be obedient or even to call out to Him. And then at some point, when you feel you've discharged that, I want you to just say, and now I bring that to you, Lord. And I look to heaven. 
and I pray for your help. Just do that now, every one of us. You might not have something come to mind. You might just be feeling totally numb and dead. Bring that to him. <laughs> Who will we come to? We lack the resources in the natural. We lack the courage. We lack the boldness. We lack the mental capacity to get our heads around your word and your truth. We lack the strength to say no. Lack the courage to trust you with my finance. I lack, I lack, I lack, but I bring that to you, Jesus. I bring the little ounces I have of belief or hope or faith or supply. And I look to heaven. Lord, we look to you today. Lord, as a church, we look to you. Lord, there's a town of endless numbers of people who don't know you. We think we're just a dip in the ocean, but we come to you with the little loaves and fish that we are as Redeemer. And we say, bless us, God, that we might be a blessing. Bless us, Lord, that hundreds would come to know a Father in heaven who loves them and has died for them and called them by name and wants to give them a hope and is their future. Bless us in our workplaces. Bless us with our housemates and our families, God, that we might be a blessing because we cannot do it without you. But in you, we are sufficient for everything that you have called us to do. And we say we trust you and we ask for your favor and blessing to help us in our weakness. Some of us are like Thomas. Help me in my unbelief. I want to believe. And Jesus doesn't dismiss it. Jesus says, come closer. Let me show you a little bit more of who I really am. And that's the invitation today. We bless you. We honor you. Let's worship together. I'd love to pray with you if anything I've said today. Hit some notes. Come and find me after the service.